All right, welcome to Portico Church Arlington. My name is Jason. As uh, Pastor Reeve has explained, this is worship, Family Worship Sunday. We do this once a quarter. Uh, it does accomplish a few things, but the main thing is this. I realized as talking to other pastors, here's what kids normally learn in the church in the last couple decades. They learn that they don't belong. Because they get pushed out for kids' ministry, they get pushed out for junior high or middle school, they get pushed out for high school, they get pushed out for campus ministry. So by the time they enter the adult working world, it's me and Jesus. Why would they come to a church? You taught us that you don't belong. So we know there's some realities and kids need a different program. We understand that and we're going to walk in that. But let's push through that together. Let's be a part of discipling our little ones that no, 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 you belong together with God's people. So that's why you're here, and we want you to worship with us. So welcome. Uh, so we're going to jump right in. We're in Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 50. Uh, we've been walking through this series, uh, Who Do You Say That I Am? And our goal is this. As we walk through each successive day of uh, the Passion Week or the Holy Week, um, we want to have, be able to answer this question in a more succinct way for us. Who do we say that Jesus is? Who do you say that he is? So that we come away as we get to Easter with not just a more precise way to answer that personally, but an understanding that changes our life. Um, and before we get into the text today, uh, it's a rough text. I'll just <laughs> welcome kids. Um, <laughs> have you ever had a season of your life where nothing made sense? Maybe today's it. You brought your kids to service, right? Mike, this doesn't make sense. What's happening? Why are we doing this? No, really. Have you ever had a season of your life where you, you could look at the data, you could look at your history, you could look at the present that you're living, and you can say that nothing that's going on in my life now makes sense. This is not the future that I was looking for. And what's that? As I look forward to the future, I have no way to get to what I want. Like the things that I want, that I hope for, the things that I'm good at aren't going to happen. And I don't have the resources or the ability to get there. This is, this is how life doesn't make sense. It might be a bad marriage. It might be a dead career. It might be a faith that you've been grabbing onto for your whole life and you've never quite felt like you understand it. It might be a life where chronic pain or mental illness is yours to own, and it hasn't changed, and you don't see any hope there. And life doesn't make sense. If you've never had that, you're going to have it, I promise you. Um, we've had it in our life. Actually, moving to Virginia in 1998 was one of those years, for a couple years, actually. Listen, Jesus himself today wrestles deeply with this question. Who do you say that I am? Jesus himself wrestles with his own identity and his own destiny. Are you ready to watch this? So he's going to have to answer that question himself. Now, he's not going to pose the question, but he's going to answer it. He's going to wrestle deeply with who he is and where he's going. So where have we been so far? Um, this is Thursday in the Holy Week. So last week... We, we saw that Mary anointed Jesus as the king, the king that would be crucified, the king that would step down off the throne and give himself for his people. Uh, since then, Jesus and his disciples have celebrated 
the Passover dinner. Uh, they have, he has instituted communion. Um, he's predicted Peter's denial. And Peter said, no, no, Lord, even if I have to die for you, I won't deny you. Do you see the irony there? Um, I'm not going to deny you. And now it's night and he's gone out with his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. So he's out back past Jerusalem uh, towards Jericho, towards the Mount of Olives and into this garden, this olive garden, probably walled, just a couple miles outside the town, we think. And he's out there with three of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John. And, and he, it, you got to feel the weight of this day for Jesus. Have you, ever ha- have you ever done something awful and you have to tell somebody? Or somebody's done something awful to you and you have to confront them? Or maybe your boss is calling you in and you know it ain't going to end well. So you have this picture in your mind that, yeah, this is going to be tough. You have the knot in your stomach. You have the anxiety. And when you get there, it's a hundred times worse than you imagined. This is, this is the dynamic that's going on. So as we jump into this, as we see Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, I just want like, this, this prayer changed my life. As I had read this in the Bible, as I was growing as a believer, and I understand who Jesus was, maybe in a greater way, it just redeveloped my faith, re-energized it. So I'm hoping that for you. So we're going to read the whole thing, uh, watch it, but I want, you to, I want you to focus in on verse 36. It's the prayer that Jesus prays. He does three things. He holds up God's sovereignty, right? And then he gets real about his sorrow. I mean, very real. And then he surrenders. So watch those three things happen in this very short prayer. So let's jump right in. This is Mark chapter 14. We'll be doing uh, verses 32 all the way to 50. Jesus prays. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he had said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Sovereignty. Remove this cup from me, deep sorrow. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Surrender. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you, you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed and willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Is it enough? The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd and sword, with swords and clubs and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had been given them a sign, saying, The one I kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, when he went up to him at once, and he said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, 
Have you come out against us as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day to day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you um, that you have given us your word, Lord. This is not a narrative or just a story. Lord, you are presenting yourself to us in your word. Let us receive it. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to do two things. I want to just walk through this narrative and pick out a few things that I want you to consider. Then as we do that, um, I'm going to throw out, give you three applications, three things that Jesus' prayer teaches us and how that can work into our life. So starting off, note this. Jesus relied on his best friends on his worst day. This Capture this for a minute. The God of creation placing his life into the hands of creatures. Peter, James, and John. Sit here. He didn't ask him to do anything, right? Just sit here. Just be with me. God relying on humanity. Be with me. Sit and watch. Go on the offensive for me. Right? You know that hell is unleashing everything. Were they able to see the spiritual realm at that point in time, it would have looked like all-out war. Jesus knows this and says, come, come on, just sit with me. Go on the offensive for me. Pray with me. So he places his life, his care into their hands. He asks them to be sober-minded, attentive, and vigilant. In other words, don't be caught off guard. And he tells them to pray, right? Then he turns on them. He says, pray pray for yourself. Pray for that you do not fall into temptation. It made me think of when I was reading this text uh, a few weeks earlier when Jesus in the fig tree says, well, no, you can pick up the fig tree and tell it to go be thrown into the sea. And if you believe it, it will be done. This is where they need to understand prayer and they need to pray big and they need, they need to be aggressive at it. This is what Jesus needs for them because failure is just not an option here. Jesus knows it. So Jesus is very disappointed. You can feel it. Uh, he's disappointed by his friends, but he still relies on them. Side note, I'm just going to pull this out. If you're one of those people that doesn't like people, I mean, just be honest. There's people that don't like people. I'm not going to tell you if I do or don't um, because I work here. Just kidding. Love people. I do. But some people do not like being around people. You are never going to win in solitude. I don't care if it's just having one person that you can rely on. Um, Nobody wins in solitude. Not even Jesus. Honestly, it would have been emotionally better for him to just leave them and not take them with him. Do you feel that? But he brings them along, right? He loves them. So he's disappointed, but he sticks with them, and he's surprised. And Jesus is caught off guard. I mean really caught off guard by his, the way he feels, the way he's being overwhelmed. He's terrified by what he expects to happen and what he doesn't expect to happen, what he doesn't know. And he starts to lose control of his emotions. He's surprised. Have you ever been to an air show? Do they still do those? Um, Where there's probably like a flight of four fighter jets and they're doing their routine and then they kind of swing way out, three of them. You're like, oh, isn't that cool? And then the fourth one like flies right over your head at like 300 feet and scares everybody to death. And the commentator is like, this is the element of surprise, which is a critical tactic in modern warfare. But it scares everybody, right? 
you're just like, what happened? Like, did we die? This is what happened with Jesus. He shows up going to his father in his hour of need, knowing he's going to the cross. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. This is too much, too much. So he is surprised. Um, He's overwhelmed by his emotions. Let's just pick out some of these adjectives. He's distressed. He's troubled and he's sorrowful. I'm just going to tell you I haven't used any of those words ever. Here's what that means. Here's, Here's what we're digging into. Unbounded horror. Distress doesn't mean he's a little bit anxious. It means he is so caught off guard that he's on the threshold of panic. Troubled, extreme anxiety, disorientation, confusion, sorrowful is deep despair. He said, this is where my soul is. Depression, just like I'm in the abyss here. How much, Jesus? Well, even unto death. There's two ways to understand that statement. This anxiety is killing me, or it would be better if I didn't exist. If you understand what Jesus does on the cross for you personally, this should be really hard to read. This should be really hard to read to see where Jesus is at this moment, even unto death despair and he's being honest so he's overwhelmed and honestly escape is an option here Uh, one of the interesting things about where the garden of gethsemane is it's on this road um, between jericho and jerusalem that they've been coming in and out of the city on Um, and it's on this road where everybody escapes they're going to throw up a map here and we'll show you you see where The Garden of Gethsemane is just to the left of Bethphage. You go around the crest of the mountain, down past Bethany, into the Judean wilderness where he was tempted, out into Jericho. Here's what my temptation would have been. Turn and go. Over the crest of that mountain, you're gone. You'll never be seen again. Jesus knows how to live in the desert. He's been there before. David used this route of escape before. Zedekiah used this route of escape. Jesus knows this. He's at the foot of that. He could turn and go. peace by escape or peace by control honestly that was an option for him jesus could have used overwhelming force but he chooses to go to prayer jesus prayed this is his prayer verse 36 abba father sometimes we juvenile we make this like a, a juvenile thing like oh daddy it doesn't really mean that in the original language it was usually adult children that would call their father that it means father it's a it's a term of intimacy Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup, yet not what I will, what you want. So he pushes into sovereignty. He knows that he belongs to the Father. Remember when he's baptized, the Father says, This is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Even the transfiguration. This is my son. Listen to him. Jesus knows that, but it's beginning to feel like he's not the beloved son. Because of what he's experiencing. Yet he knows what he signed up for. Nobody takes his life from him. He gives it. I feel like this would be one of those these, these times when one of your friends would come to you and say, Well, you know, 
I'm sorry that you're, you're suffering, but God is sovereign. It's all going to work out. Pretty sure Jesus would have ripped off an olive branch and whipped you. This is not how God's sovereignty works. He understands, yet he will walk the way of the cross, and he knows God is sovereign, right? He knows he's in the hands of the Father, and he asks, remove this cup from me. His sorrow is real. Um, He knows he's trading positions. He knows that wearing the title of Christ or Messiah, which is the point of Mark, is that he will be the sin-bearing Savior. He will be the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. He knows that. Now he's beginning to experience it, and it's overwhelming. There's no human on the face of this earth that was more unprepared to be in this position than Jesus, period. His relationship with God the Father has been unmitigated. He's been with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, eternal relationship. Now he's in a position where he will become sin, where he will bear wrath, and that will change his relationship even for a moment with God the Father. Not ontologically, he's still going to be God the Son. He doesn't disappear, but he's bearing real wrath. And he sees that and he feels that. And he brings this sorrow to God the Father and says, take it away. This is impossible. And then he surrenders. All the same prayer. Yet not what I want, what you want. Surrender of the will is terrifying. Here's what Jesus is not saying. You gotta t- I gotta toughen up. I get it. I stand up for this. I just gotta toughen up. No, he, he's unraveling. Jesus is a soul at the end of its resources. He does not have the strength to do it. Moving forward to the cross is gonna take more than what he has. And he's asking God for help. But don't hear this. Doing God's will, surrendering to God's will, doesn't mean you have the strength to do it. That's not how that works. Learn from your Lord. Learn from your Lord. Luke, in this account, shows that an angel showed up. Mark doesn't. Mark is just giving you the facts. But God responds to his prayer and meets his need and gives him the strength that he needs. And surrender of the will here, it's worship. This is what love does. And it is the ongoing act of faith and Jesus Jesus is showing us how to walk with him Um, he he listen you're never you're never going to see a more human Jesus than in the garden just like you're never going to see maybe a more divine Jesus in the resurrection or in the ascension or in the return of Jesus if you ever doubted if you ever doubted Jesus doesn't get me Friend, you cannot say that with a good conscience. Jesus doesn't know what it's like to suffer the life that I... You cannot say that with a good conscience. Jesus doesn't know what it's like to be isolated. This is, this is why Hebrews is so clear. We have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens. Jesus, he shared in every way in our weakness, but he has not shared in our sin. He is our way to the Father. We can approach the throne of grace in our time of need. This is blatantly what's going on here. So, three things that we can take away from this. This prayer is powerful. Three things we can learn from Jesus here. One is this. Um, 
making sense of your circumstances in life is not necessary for faithfulness. Do you hear that? If you're anything like me, which I hope you're not, here's what you're going to do. I will be faithful to the level that this makes sense. I'm going to hold back. I'm not going to walk forward. Whoa, hey, the cross is, this is really different. I don't think I can go forward. Let's just, let's, you know what? Let's put together a task force and pray about this some more. And then we'll, then we'll come back and see if the cross makes sense. No, no. You do not need all the information to be faithful. You do not need to make sense of your circumstances. In fact, if you're waiting for that, and many of you are, you're never going to get it. Let me just, let me just help you with that. It doesn't come. Revelation comes as you trust God. It's not a prerequisite for faithfulness. So trusting in him, obeying him, loving him, walking with him, surrendering to him is not a response to him giving you the information. It's a response to his grace and his love for you. You you do it or you don't. Um, You don't need all the information. You don't need to make sense of your circumstances before you act in faith. Um, So that's number one. That's huge. I think we'd like to think... I understand this. Well, if if this was if if God loved me or if this was the right thing for me to do, I wouldn't suffer. There is actually logic in that. So let's not pretend that there isn't. Remember Mary anointed him for burial. That's key. You're following a crucified king, an exalted king. Okay, second What can we take from Jesus' prayer so we understand sovereignty? Secondly, there's more to it. Believing in God's sovereignty, that God is sovereign over absolutely everything that happens, not just generally, that specifically in your life. doesn't mean you're a robot. You have spontaneity. You have freedom. God is sovereign. Believing in that does not mean that your circumstances and your emotions don't matter. See, we will take one or the other. We will say, well, God is sovereign, so nothing I do matters. I'm just going to live a life of self-resignation, and I'll just think about myself and live for myself and realize nothing's going to get better, and God is sovereign, and yada, yada, yada. No, no, no. Believing in God's sovereignty doesn't mean your circumstances and your emotions don't matter. Why? Jesus prayed that way. Remove this cup from me. Don't you? You want to ask him why he prayed that? You probably don't. He meant it. There's got to be a better way. Remove this cup. So you might be thinking this. Because I have this feeling, I shouldn't talk to God about it. That's a bad policy, friend. Or you might think that God is ignoring you or doesn't care because your circumstances haven't changed. What have I done wrong? So this is a lament. You see lament all over Scripture, especially in the Psalms. How long, O Lord? Jesus knew them like the back of his hand. And he takes his sorrow and his desire to the Lord. So what is lament? It's not self-pity or depression. It's this. It's inviting God into your despair. Do you do that on a regular basis? Well, I did, but nothing changed. Do you invite God into your despair? Because lament will give language to your heart and to your soul that you cannot get any other way. It lets God know what's going on inside your soul. Um, 
Some of you don't do that. Most of you don't do that. There's a storm of ruin under the surface, but it's like Saturn. It just looks good from a distance. But when you get close, you realize the winds are like 1,200 miles an hour, and it's, it's out of control. But you don't let God in. So let me read you a quote from Soon Chan Ra. He wrote a, a pretty powerful book called Prophetic Lament. He says, but to not lament put, puts God at arm's length and has the potential of splitting you. We appear okay, but we are really broken hearted. Believing in God's sovereignty does not mean that your circumstances or how you feel about them don't matter. Take it up. Take it up to the Lord. And lastly, in Christ, your worst case scenario is no longer possible. Here's the surrender. Does that mean I'm going to get everything I pray for? No. You might, though. Have you tried? Listen. Jesus, again, went to be with the Father in his hour of need, and he found hell waiting for him. He appeared into the abyss and didn't want it. This is his nightmare, Samaria. Do you get that? Rapid decelerate, rapid separation from the Father. Transitioning from a son to a sinner in real time, bearing the weight not just of a person, but of a whole humanity. All that will trust in Jesus. I don't even know how to explain that. Listen, whatever your nightmare scenario is, and and we have them, right? It's never going to include this. If you're in Christ, you are never going to be put in a position where you need to exchange your identity as a child of God for an enemy. It's never going to happen. Yeah, but man, life is rough. Yeah, it is. But sometimes it feels like that doesn't help. I understand that. But this is the nightmare scenario you do not walk in Christ. You don't walk that road. You don't pray that prayer. You're never going to pray it. You're never going to say, why are you forsaking me? That's what Jesus wants us to see here. So I'm going to read you something. It's a children's weekly devotional written by our pastor of community and family. It might be on our website. I don't know. It could have just been, hey, I think I'm thinking about it. It's great. I'm going to take it. I'm going to read it because it sums up everything. Listen, everybody. This is what Jesus is saying for you. Jesus is faced here with his worst nightmare and brings it to God in prayer. He is overwhelmed by the idea of taking on the punishment for all the sins of the world and asks his father for a different way. Jesus knew that his father deeply cared about him, and even though Jesus wanted a different way, he obeyed his father. Jesus is so committed to his people that he was willing to endure his worst nightmare so that we do not have to. God the Father is so committed to his people that he was willing to give up his beloved son to take the punishment that we deserve. God loves his people. And through the Holy Spirit, we are able to love God and trust that Jesus, that because Jesus faced his worst nightmare, we don't receive punishment for our sin, and we belong to God as his family forever. Can you live on that? 
Jesus is beginning to fill the price of what he purchased for us. Think through this prayer. Do you pray knowing God is sovereign? Do you continue that prayer bringing God your sorrow? And do you finish that prayer with surrender? Not my kingdom, God. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, for your love for us, for every age, Lord. We thank you for your love for the littlest of little, even unborn little ones, to the oldest of old. We thank you for calling us your own. Jesus, we thank you so much for your faithfulness and for not only teaching us to pray, but holding on, holding on to God the Father and the power of the Spirit through real prayer, Jesus. We thank you for winning us and paying this price. In your name, amen.